salt, pepper, bread, butter, hot, cold, love, marriage, horse, carriage, assets, liabilities. Some things just go together. And seeing as last week we discussed liabilities, it follows that this week we must cover assets. In previous centuries, your children were seen as assets. If they made it past the age of eight, they were labour available to help around the home or to work on the land and in so doing to contribute to the financial well-being of their procreators. They also served the function of providing a guaranteed retirement plan. In your old age, your children and their spouses, who you incidentally probably handpicked for them based on their prospects of future wealth, had no option other than to support you. We know in modern times, from a purely financial perspective, that we would now place children more in the category of liability than asset. But the look back in time does serve a valuable purpose. It illustrates that an asset is something that you own that has value or can create value and could potentially become a liability in someone else's hands. Being the holder of assets results in two points of financial impact. Assets and the dreaded L word, that is to say liquidity, not love. It is not cheap to be rich. We know that executors' fees are based on the gross value of property or assets in the estate. That is a maximum of 3.5% plus VAT as an admin cost. We also know that death triggers a disposal for CGT purposes. Unless the surviving spouse inherits and there is a rollover, the maximum CGT effective rate is currently 18%. An accrual claim, which hinges off the net value of the estate, again has to do with your accumulation of assets. And then you have the potential for estate duty at 20 or 25% as well to deal with. Each and every asset your client owns may trigger one or more administration fees or taxes. Back to the data capture form and the need for a detailed balance sheet. While your client may feel more comfortable, less exposed, in providing you with one single amount representing the total of his assets, you cannot start with the most elementary part of estate planning without that detail. You simply will not even get the liquidity requirements right. The second point of impact when it comes to assets is an analysis of the function that asset fulfills and thus its treatment on the client's death and its potential benefits thereafter. Is the asset one that the client and his dependents or heirs use on a daily basis? A car, furniture, the residential home. These assets, especially the family home, can be worth a lot of money, but on the death of the client, they don't release cash for those who remain behind. In fact, they continue to cost money. Electricity, rates and taxes, security, maintenance and upkeep. How important is it to keep these assets and what provision is in place to ensure that they can be kept and maintained in the medium and long term, not just the short term? Will the surviving spouse even want to keep the asset or will she, for example, want to move closer to her family or good friends, move somewhere that has better security or will be easier to maintain? A house is just a house, or is it? You cannot provide advice if you don't understand the bigger picture need, and not just from your client's perspective, but also from that of the ultimate heir. 
A balance sheet of your average client will probably include a house, a car, some investments, pension fund and some life insurance. A high net worth client could also have a share portfolio on a stock exchange and one or more properties. If this client is entrepreneurial in nature or had the good fortune of being born into a family that holds business interests, you can add shares in a private company or CC into the mix. The shares on the stock exchange could be sold and used for liquidity or they could be retained. The question is, in what way do they contribute to the family's bottom line? If a passive portfolio, to what extent can the heir rely on the payment of dividends to supplement daily needs? If your client actively trades, then what impact will his death have on this investment and those intended to benefit? Just because you have assets doesn't necessarily mean there will be sufficient income on your death for those who stay behind. What about the shares in a private company? Many, if not most, shareholders in small to medium-sized private companies actually work in those businesses and use the income or salary earned to live off to support the entire family. What happens when this shareholder dies? No one likes to think about death. When you are busy running and growing a business, you don't have the luxury of time to think about death. As the financial advisor, it becomes your job to think about this for your client and to ask the questions that will force your client to take pause and to think. So Richard Branson says, the one person who can make your business succeed is not an investor or even a mentor. It is you. So it's not about the money. It's not even necessarily about having the skills or knowledge. It's about having the drive, the passion, the dream. It's about the sacrifices, the tough calls, the risky calls, the late nights, the boozy lunches, the stress when customers don't pay on time or at all. It's about reading the economy, knowing when to take on a government-sponsored project and when not. It's about feeling like the staff are your responsibility. It's about knowing that your family are dependent on your ability to make this work. It's about a greater vision. Private business interests can amount to many millions on a client's balance sheet and, during their lifetime, can enable a magnificent lifestyle. But what happens on death? Where is the value? If the shares are retained, can they continue to produce a monthly income? On what basis does a company pay someone an income if they don't deliver any work or value to the company? If they don't contribute to the growth and profits? If an income can't be paid to the heirs, will the company provide dividends? Who decides if dividends are declared and how often will this happen? Is it guaranteed? There is a romantic notion that in building a business you are building an empire for generations to come. Ask your client. If you were to take a 12-month sabbatical starting immediately today, what impact would your not showing up at work have on the business? Now assume you take a five-year sabbatical. According to an article published in Forbes based on research conducted by Professors Sasha O'Becker and Hans Hivd from the Universities of Warwick in the UK and Bergen in Norway respectively, based on detailed records kept and studying 341 privately owned companies registered in Norway, it was found that where a majority shareholder or founder died, sales dropped 60% on average over four years after the death of that person. And even beyond that four-year period, where a rebound was expected to occur, it did not. The study also found that the risk of bankruptcy was much higher in such situations as well. In the words of Professor Becker, 
It seems founder entrepreneurs are the glue that helps to hold a business together. So much to think about. A balance sheet is so much more than just that. As the financial advisor, you need to consider each and every asset on that balance sheet and interrogate it in terms of the specific context of your client, her family dynamics, the needs of her broader family unit, their skills, their interests, their desires. One person's asset may be another person's ball and chain. Your role is to bring cold, hard, objectivity to a financial planning exercise, even at the level of a particular asset and the impact and role it plays after death or disability or retirement of the client. Your job is to uncover needs and provide solutions to them, to open your client's eyes to the prospects and possibilities.